Okay, well, it's great to see you this morning. Uh, signifies the start of such an important week in our calendar as believers. That is the Holy Week. And this morning is Palm Sunday. Um, all around the world, churches will be acknowledging what a special Sunday morning it is. Um, and it is the week in which we see Jesus enter Jerusalem, which we're going to talk about this morning. It's the lead up to the Last Supper, to the crucifixion, in a week's time, to the resurrection. Uh, and, and just, it's amazing. As you read through the Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they all four writers, they focus heavily on this week. In fact, a third, almost 33% of what the Gospels contain is all written about this week. Um, uh, two out of the four Gospels mention the birth of Jesus. That's uh, Matthew and Luke. Um, they, meant, they mention the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. Uh, but when it comes to this traumatic and incredibly powerful moving week, all four of the Gospel writers, they seem to slow their pace, to take their time. It's like this moment where all of creation in this week, it's like it takes a deep breath in anticipation of the maker of the universe, the God of all creation as he heads towards the cross. And it's almost like the um, the, the events that happen, the prophetic words that are fulfilled, the teachings that are taught by Jesus, and all of the events, it's like uh, they were so consequential that the Holy Spirit just steadies the flow of writing for these four writers, and they all take the time to write these incredible events down for us. So, um, and I just want to encourage you, really, as you go this morning, you know, this, this isn't your only feeding time, right? Like, we don't fast all week and then just feed on a Sunday on God's Word. We want to keep feeding on it all of the time. So I want to encourage you this week to engage in Holy Week, just in your own time to read through the Gospel accounts, read through what Jesus says, what He does, read about the events, you know, the, the betrayal of Judas, the, the, the plans of the Pharisees to kill him, the pouring out of the perfume on Jesus, the, the, the Last Supper and gathering together, the, the arrests in the Garden of Gethsemane, that all of this, I just want to encourage you in your own time this week to really engage, to really deep dive into what Jesus is speaking to you as a disciple. Okay, so, amen. Okay, so let's just pray real quick, and I'm going to read, uh, we're going to read from Matthew's Gospel today, 21, 1 to 11. Matthew 21, 1 to 11. Um, so let's just pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive, and I pray this morning that we would be a people that say, Father, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm ready for you to come and move in my life. Lord, I, I pray that we would just turn off distractions, just turn off our phones, just get rid of things for the next 20 minutes or whatever I've got, Lord, that you would just come and speak to us as your church. Would we be ready to respond to what you speak to us, Lord? Would we capture it and hold on to it? Would we be desperate, Lord, to know more about you? In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Okay, Matthew 21, 1 to 11 says, As they approached Jerusalem... And came to Bethphage 
on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. It's going to be on the screen. But I'm really sorry about this screen. The guy apparently is coming this week to have a look at it. Okay, so hopefully next week we have two screens back. Um, uh, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place, Matthew just inserts something here for us. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fall of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their, their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So just remembering, just as we kick into this, this is a really significant week in the city of Jerusalem. This is the Passover festival, uh, the festival in which they remember their, their, their slavery to the Egyptian Pharaoh and how God rescued them and brought them out of, out of that uh, slavery and forced Pharaoh's hand and parted the Red Sea and eventually into the Promised Land. This is the festival where they celebrate what God did in that moment. And, and, and for that reason, Jews who have been spread far and wide, they descend on the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, and they come to celebrate the Passover meal together. And it, as you read along in the, in, 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 in the story of the Holy Week, you'll see that that's exactly what Jesus and his disciples gather to have on Thursday. They're going to have the Passover meal. And, and because of the Passover festival, they see what happens every year is the population of Jerusalem, it grows fivefold. So can you imagine in Darlington going from 100,000 to 500,000, uh, having that many people? It would just be crazy, right? Trying to find somewhere to stay, trying to find somewhere to eat, all those things, it would just be absolutely chock-a-block. And that's exactly what was happening. Jesus and his disciples at this point, they've been walking for days, we know that they've uh, been traveling from Galilee towards Jerusalem. They, they stopped outside of Jericho and we see Jesus heal two men who were blind. And as a result of him, his healing, they, they get up and follow Jesus. So they're in the crowd with his disciples. Um, and we, we also know that the route from Jericho up to Jerusalem for the last 18 miles, at least, is a steep uphill walk. It's it's pretty grim, but, but this crowd is growing larger and larger. And, and with the crowd of pilgrims that are descending on Jerusalem, Jesus, Jesus would have kind of blended into the crowd some, some degree, but they're all heading to Jerusalem for that Passover festival. We know from John's gospel 
that the disciples and Jesus, they stop in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in John 12, it tells us that, and they, they live in Bethany. Um, and, and after they've stopped there in Bethany, they, um, uh, Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him to pick up the donkey for his ride into the city. So I've got a quick map, just, I don't know if you're like me, I love maps, like literally love maps. So um, so you can see there, Bethany, uh, it's only about two miles actually from the city of Jerusalem. So it's not a huge distance, but they stop in Bethphage to pick up the donkeys and then they head down. And this path down, it's down, down the Mount of Olives, it's twisting and winding, a bit of uphill, a bit of, mainly downhill, and then eventually uh, into the east side of Jerusalem. It's really significant, fulfilling prophecies, all sorts of things going on. So Jesus sends his disciples out to go ahead of him and there's this entrance that is going to be made. I mean, we're talking about Jesus, God himself, God incarnate, like the Messiah is finally coming into the city. And how does he make that grand entrance? Well, on a donkey. I was going to put a picture of a donkey at this point. I thought it's going to be too distracting. You all have seen a donkey, right? Like donkeys are donkeys. And that's how he chooses to do it. That's how he chooses to announce himself as the coming Messiah. There's a whole bunch of reasons why this is significant. The first thing is, is that entrances in those days, that, and even today, I mean, you know, we all know people who know how to make an entrance, right? Like, and, and, and Jesus was making an entrance. He was making a decision to make an entrance. And in those days, entrances were status symbols. They told you everything about who they were. We're watching Aladdin at the moment in our house. Like that's a new one for Hannah. Anybody seen Aladdin? Um, where he makes that big entrance with elephants and golden camels and all sorts of things going on. Like it's exactly the same in those days. Julius Caesar, uh, between April and July, there was kind of people aren't agreed on that. Uh, April and July, 46 BC. Julius Caesar, you all know Julius Caesar, I hope the Roman emperor, he entered Rome again in a mighty triumph, after his mighty triumph. He comes in, he's defeated the Gauls, um, which are a people, kind of France, Switzerland, Belgium, uh, a little bit of Germany, this huge group of people. And Julius Caesar returns back to Rome after defeating them, after shedding their blood, after killing them. It was a brutal war that we don't know exactly how many people died in this war, but we know it's around a million people. I know, Ruby, it's bad. I, I'll be finished soon. Okay. <laughs> She's not happy with me. Uh, we, we know it's about a million people who died. And about a further million people were taken captive, were taken as slaves. A brutal war. And Julius Caesar, he returned back to Rome after about a nine-year campaign. And he returns into the city and he's riding a chariot just a status symbol. And behind him are thousands of soldiers all at his command to, de to demonstrate his authority and his power. And behind them uh, are, are thousands of captives, slaves, people who have been, been captured by the mighty Julius Caesar. And he toured the city. And while he was touring the city, they gave out over 2,000 gold and silver coins and spread them on the streets for the people. And people lined the streets to welcome this mighty conqueror. And they flew f through flowers 
on the ground where he was going to where he was going to ride through. This event was a major celebration. Actually, it finished with chariot races, several days of chariot races. Who doesn't like a good old chariot race? And gladiator battles. And, and this was all, one, one um, historian wrote, to, to testament the power and the influence of Julius Caesar. That's what it was all for. This pomp, this ceremony, this arrival, this triumphant entrance. When you contrast that to Jesus, to King Jesus, Jesus knew precisely what he was doing. Let's be really clear. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was making his own statements. They were just very different statements. First of all, Matthew points out really helpfully that he's, that he's fulfilling the, the, the promise of the prophet Zechariah. He's positioned himself as a much greater ruler, as a much greater king, as a much more powerful king than Julius Caesar by doing what he does. In Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the fall of a donkey. When Jesus took his seat on this young donkey, what, and roared into Jerusalem, he was sending a very clear message to everybody and to me and to you. Your king is coming. He's here. He's arrived. But not just that riding a, I mean, a donkey. I mean, there's one thing I wouldn't choose to ride. If Jesus wanted to make a similar statement to the world rulers at the time, he would have come in riding a white horse, right? With, with a, his cloak dipped in blood. By the way, it's Revelation 19. That's how Jesus is going to come back one day. Riding a horse, a white horse, but no, a donkey, an animal that is completely unsuitable for warfare, like completely unsuitable. They're known for their unbelievable ability to escape where they've been kept and just wander off. They have no home in Beacon whatsoever to be where they are. And they're skittish. They're no good in war. But this was a king that was different, sent by God, from God. This was unlike the triumphal entry of Caesar, who whether you liked it or not, Caesar was your ruler. Caesar was your king. He, he had all the might, all the power. His wealth was easy to see and it was easy to understand. And if you fail to submit to Caesar, well, the consequences are very clear. You will be added to the long line of slaves and captives who failed to bow the knee. It's a pretty clear indication of what happens if you fail to submit to that sort of king. But you see, with Jesus, he calls us to surrender to his love. Not to his fury, to his love. He calls us to surrender in our own free will, a free choice. Jesus comes to you in meekness, riding a donkey, calling you voluntarily to, to submit to his rule and to his coming kingdom. Uh, William Barclay is a Scottish uh, theologian. He wrote this. He said, he proposed to ride into Jerusalem in a way that would be unmistakable, an unmistakable claim to be the Messiah. 
God's anointed king. He entered in such a way to focus the whole limelight upon himself and to occupy the center of the stage. It was a deliberate claim by Jesus to be the king, a deliberate fulfilling of the picture in Zechariah 9.9. But even in this, Jesus underlined the kind of kingship that he claimed. Only in war did kings ride upon a horse. When they came in peace, they came upon a donkey. So the geography of this whole situation is really important uh, because where Jesus is coming from, where he's coming from up the Mount of Olives, there's this path into Jerusalem and everybody on that path, everybody stood by the gate, would be able to see Jesus coming from a long way off. And the crowds would have been able to see a man arriving on a donkey, coming down the road. This was him making his statement. And, and this isn't just us or Matthew picking up on this after, after the fact. Actually, to recognize um, that Jesus is making a statement, the crowd reacts in a way that tells us they knew exactly what is going on. They understood the statement that he was making. And to recognize this, to honor Jesus coming down the hill on this donkey, they honor him in laying down garments, take off their cloaks and place them on the ground. And this was a really common way in those days to, to welcome royalty, to welcome a king. And this may seem a little bit odd to take your, your coat off or to chop branches off trees and put them down, almost uh, like they don't have to walk on the floor. But, but actually, if we were going to get a visit, uh, it might seem a bit odd, but if we were going to get a visit from His, His Majesty the King, right? Um, we would do something very similar here at, at King's, probably in the car park. Can anybody just think what we would do today that would be similar? Red carpet. Yeah, absolutely. We would lay down a red carpet. Red carpets today, they signify or recognize someone of significance or importance, or just someone who's on TV. Um, and, and arriving in this crowd, they are uh, placing down these branches and putting down this carpet and it's an outward action that pointed towards these people welcoming a king. But it wasn't just their actions, their words too. They acknowledged exactly what was going on in the moment. Quoting the Psalms like 118.26, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're acknowledging who this man is. They're acknowledging that he is the Messiah. And it would have been so exciting. It's hard for us to understand, I guess, today, but for them it would have been so exciting in the moment to understand the significance of what, what's going on, that the prophets are being fulfilled in this moment, that this man riding on the donkey down, coming into the, to the eternal city of Jerusalem, that they are laying their cloaks down and, and, and shouting and acknowledging who Jesus is. You can imagine the scene, can't you? You can imagine the excitement. But the truth is, we know that, that not everybody's excited. We know that the Pharisees uh, were upset. They saw it as a real intrusion on, whole, on, on the Passover week, Passover festival. The Roman soldiers in the crowd they would have been more concerned about the fact that this was disturbing the peace. It would have been noisy. It would have been a, 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 you know, a build-up of people. It would have been quite intimidating. And they're all about keeping the peace. And it tells us in verses 10 and 11 that as soon as Jesus reached the city, there's this huge 
bubbling, stir in the city. Everybody's asking, who was the man who arrived on the donkey? Who's the man who fulfilled the prophecy? And they sit and they respond, telling them, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And, and, and we know that the Pharisees, we know, um, we don't, uh, Matthew doesn't mention it, but we know from Luke that it tells us that the, the Pharisees, they're angry, right? They're annoyed that, that, that Jesus is allowing that to happen. And they say, hey, you need to quiet down your disciples who are insinuating that you are the Messiah. And I, don't you love how Jesus responds to things? He says, he says if, look, look, if they stop, even the stones will cry out. If they stop. The Pharisees were stone-hearted. They refused to accept Jesus as the Messiah. They refused to join in the celebrations. And they refused to welcome this much-needed Savior. So, look, how do we... Well, I've got to hurry up. How do we digest? How do we digest this special moment? How do we digest the beginning of Holy Week? How do we go into this week actually with a freshness in our heart, with a readiness in our heart to learn, to listen to Jesus. Well, the reality is, is that this, this journey that Jesus took is a relatively short one. In fact, um, from, from where he gets on the donkey, down the hill and round the little bends and through the valley all the way to Jerusalem, it probably, even on a, like, a stubby-legged little donkey, probably would have only taken him about an hour. It's not a super long procession. It's not a super long journey. And, and, and coming down uh, from the Mount of Olives that Sunday morning, it would have had its twists and its turns and its ups and its downs. But eventually it comes to a moment where they're outside what is known as the eternal city of Jerusalem. Much like our life. You know, we're, we're not sure how long our journey is, are we? we? One thing we do know for a fact is that life has its ups and downs, has its moments in the valleys, has its moments where it's like we're on the top of the hill and we can see everything. But eventually we find ourselves following Jesus into the eternal city, entering through those gates, and the reality is, is that we can either join the parade or stand outside. And my question to you this morning and to myself is, where are you in the crowd today? As, as, as we remember this morning as a church, as we, as we look at this, this scripture, Palm Sunday, where are you in the crowd? Are you, are you at the front of the crowd in like just complete surrender to Jesus? In complete surrender and welcoming in, Him into your life as King? Like really complete surrender? Here's my cloak. I'm going to take these trees up, tree, branches off the trees. I'm going to place them down and I'm going to declare you as King. Hosanna to, that, that you have arrived. Are we in complete surrender? Are you embracing him, devoted to him, following him into that city with assurance that he is the one true ruler? Or are you maybe just a little bit at the back, like keeping your distance, you know, interested, 
Maybe that's you this morning. Like, just, you're just here because you're interested. That's totally fine, by the way. But you're just a little bit interested. Or maybe your, your life as, as a follower of Jesus has become a little bit like that. You've found it easier just to take a backward step and just allow others from the church to just be at the front. And you just think, yeah, I do like you, Jesus, but I'm just going to kind of think it in my head. I want to keep my hosannas to myself. And actually, maybe you become a little bit, a little bit blasé about Jesus. Like, yeah, he's the Messiah now, but actually, when life doesn't work out the way that I want it to, when he doesn't work out to be the Messiah that I want him to be, you know, they all had that problem. He didn't kick the Romans out and take over Jerusalem. No, he went to the cross. He went to the cross. And he didn't quite work out to be the Messiah that people wanted. And the people, same people that were shouting, Hosanna, only four days ago, five days ago, were now shouting, crucify him. He's not the, he's not the king I want. And actually, maybe your life doesn't work out the way you want it to work out. Maybe he doesn't get you that job that you were praying for, that you passed the interview. Maybe, maybe your life didn't work out the way you wanted it to work and now you kind of just stand in the back of the crowd and just let other people shout Hosanna. Keep my cloak to myself, keep my Hosannas to, the, to myself and I'll see how this Jesus guy pans out in my life and then I'll maybe sing Hosanna. Or maybe you understand exactly how the Pharisees and the, and, and the religious elite and the Romans felt. Jesus feels a bit more like a hindrance to you. He's ruining your peace. He's ruining the way that your life was going. And actually now you're at a point of rejecting everything that Jesus claims to be. Sneering at him from a distance. You see, this morning, there is only one correct response. One correct response to Jesus. He is the king who comes in humility, riding on a donkey, not coming to wash in the blood of his enemies, but to wash the feet of his disciples. That's the king that we bow the knee to. That's the king that we sing Hosanna to. That's the king that we give our lives to when we follow in with assurance into the eternal city. There's only one response to him. It's total surrender. Giving him your life. And saying, Lord, I choose you. I choose to make you king. It doesn't come naturally to any of us, by the way. Total surrender. But it's the response that Jesus requires. And we must not mistake meekness for weakness. Next time Jesus comes, he won't be riding a donkey. He'll be riding a horse. And he will come to bring judgment. He will come to wipe away every tear. He will come to put everything right. <laughs>